Can you please now open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We have a a couple weeks gap here between, um, we just wrapped up Mark, which was just phenomenal, that concluding uh, summary that, that Josh served us so well last week, and then just your reading of Scripture. I was just so moved by that. Um, thank you for everyone who helped serve in that. That was just a powerful opportunity just to hear God's Word being read in, in the midst of God's people and beholding Jesus. And so, um, what, but we're, we have a couple weeks gap between finishing Mark until we're going to go into the letter to the Philippians, which I'm very excited about. And, uh, and I didn't want to lose our, our momentum in just considering Jesus' words in, in a gospel and what it means to be his disciples, and then into Philippians, where we're going to be learning more about what Christ has done and what that means for us as his people. Uh, and so, uh, we, uh, thinking and kind of praying that through, we're going to drop into to the gospel of Matthew and looking at a couple messages on, in, within the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and focusing on, on two topics, one this week on anxiety, and then next week uh, we're going to be considering loving our enemies uh, right before midterm elections. Um, Eb and Ebby's going to be serving us next week in, in the Word. I'm very excited for that. Um, it, we, we live in a very anxious age. I, I don't need to show you stats for that. I don't need to show you charts. So we, we feel that. We, we know that in our own hearts. And, and we live in an angry age as well. Um, just a quick two-minute scroll through Twitter, and you will be aware. Uh, of course, this is, this is nothing different in history, um, but I believe that there's, there's some help that I, I think Jesus would have for us right now in these two topics through his word about considering our anxieties and considering the, the angry world we're in. But it's always been. Um, I grew up uh, reading Far Side comics uh, when I was younger. Uh, there's this, it's amazing in just one simple image with just a line or two uh, uh, captures a lot of truth and a lot of fun. Uh, this one I was thinking of and, and came across. It says this, the picture's pretty bleak, gentlemen. The world's climates are changing. The mammals are taking over. And we all have a brain about the size of a walnut. plenty of reason to be anxious then, and there's plenty of reason to be anxious now. There was anxiety that was very relevant in the garden. There's anxiety relevant and real and tangible for us today that life will always have anxieties present. Um, and the world is saying that it's pretty bleak. It's bleaker than ever. It is the bleakest time of, in history. And yet I believe God has something different for us as disciples Anxiety is a result of a fallen world around us. We experience anxiety because we, we are human. Uh, we are human. We, there's weakness. There are our bodies and our minds are affected by the fall. There, there's also our own sin in the mix of that. We, we live in a fallen world impacting and pressing in on us. So, in, so anxiety impacts each and every one of us in different ways, but we're all touched by it. And it manifests in different ways in different people. Right? There's a sense where that it just feels like stress. It feels panicky, angst, nervous, nausea. It can impact our bodies, headaches, racing hearts, restlessness, even, even forms of, of panic attacks. Anxieties can connect to very painful circumstances in our past and in the present or in the future. 
that's coming, these uncertain realities. And, and sometimes they, they, the origination of them is uncertain. Where is the source of this thing? It just comes upon us. And right now, there is, if you do look at statistics and what's going on, that panic attacks are on an all-time high in record. Anxiety disorders being diagnosed, particularly in our young people, in our teens. And there's a ton to be worried about. Andrew alluded to some of these, our unstable economies, job markets, elections, and then you throw in the mix of that a pandemic that we've been living through, and you add to that a dose of unhealthy uh, relationships with technology and social media. You, you can see clearly studies that even point to the rise of anxiety in teens, particularly girls connected to the rise of social media. You toss into that just the everyday life stuff. Fragile, rusting cars. Giant, increasing grocery bills. There's plenty of their things around us and within our own life to, to say, be anxious. There is reason for good worry, though. The Bible points to us there are forms of godly anxiety. We read in Paul, as he writes to the church in Corinthians, that he has, he has anxiety for all of the churches, meaning there's this right worry, a burden that he has, a concern for their care and their following of Jesus. So there's a good concern when I go into the Boundary Waters that I wear a life flotation, a life vest, a flotation device that my boys do because we just might fall over. There's proper concern. However, there is overt, intense worry and anxiety that can often lead to sinful reactions and unbelief in something else other than our God. So it's not that the anxieties will come to us. That is a reality. It's what are we going to do with it when it comes. The New Testament word for anxiety describes being, being troubled by cares, so worry. But within the word actually is this, this idea of being divided, drawn, drawn into different directions. We're, we're distracted with worries. There's, our attention is divided. We're being pulled apart. This is the, the idea of anxiety in the New Testament. Divided and distracted by cares. Cares here, cares there, cares in the future, cares out there that are unknown, cares that are present that might be happening or we're unsure of. My goal, goal today is not to pinpoint the exact source of every one of our anxieties because they, they come in all forms in our life and the, the, the way that they are manifesting in many of our lives can, can vary so much. Variables above weaknesses, the, the many ways, is a sin or, or is it not sin or what is weakness and versus the, its impact. But here would be my, my hope through looking at Jesus' words that, that for each of us, that we would see and know that wherever and however there is anxiety in our life, physiological, heart issues, in all of them, it is an opportunity for us to move towards Jesus. It is an opportunity for us to grow in faith in Jesus, to experience God's peace in Jesus in some way. So the wonderful truth is, though we live in an anxious age, God cares for us. He cares for our anxieties. He cares for our anxious hearts, our anxious minds, our anxious, impacted bodies, and He understands. He knows us, and He cares for us. And because we are His people and we are in His kingdom, 
we can be people who relate to the anxieties in our world differently. So I want to, I want to start with just an, a, an exercise, and maybe this is already happening for you because it's right there, but a question, what, what are you anxious for right now? What, what anxiety is present for you? What, what, what gets sort of your heart racing? Um, maybe it's that, for me, it's just like I know I'm anxious about something. I'm just walking around because I, I sigh real big. I'm like, <sighs> and my wife's like, you're anxious about something. Maybe it's hard to sleep. Maybe there's just something that's agitating. You're quickly agitated, agitating you. It's a rolling around in your mind. And I want you to just kind of press in a little bit deeper under that and just say, what do you fear or worry about in that anxiety? What, what will happen if that thing comes? What, if, what will happen if that thing doesn't come? What's the worst case scenario as that anxiety looms in your heart? What will happen to you? What will that person do to you? What will that circumstances do, do to you? What, what do you? Where's your faith? upon in that anxiety? What is the outcome? What is the, the certainty you want or the certainty you have upon? What is it or who is it? I think Jesus draws our attention to the, to the who this morning, and I want us to hear from his word. So let's look at Matthew 6, chapters, uh, chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 25 through 34 this morning, and then we'll pray. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look, 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 look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need, that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Join me as we pray. Jesus, thank you for your words to us today. Lord, I'm very aware of anxiety in my own heart, and Lord, I, I know that there's multiple, multiple opportunities and, and very good reasons for anxiety and worries to be upon our hearts, because there's important things in our life, there's important people, there's important situations, and, and, and the, the, the vast array of, of the ways anxiety impacts, Lord, the many people in, in this room or listening, 
Jesus, I, I pray you would come, come today by your Spirit and you just draw each and every one of us to, to you. We, we would find a, a sense of rest in you, Lord, that would come. And, and Lord, there would be no condemnation here this morning, wherever that lands, but there would, there would be just a sense of, of peace and hope that comes knowing that you're near and that we can, we can come to you. And so come, Jesus, and meet us. Amen. And before we jump into our text today, I just want to just take a quick moment just to set our context. You see that this text lands in a larger section of, called the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. This was just one lengthy message that Jesus was given to a crowd of people. So imagine Jesus, he's on this hillside and there's this huge amount of people and there's a lake off in the distance and just common folks surrounding him, listening to him teach. Farmers, fishermen, tradesmen, likely many poor people among them. Uh, people whom uh, the next meal or a pair of clothing is a very, very big deal. If it didn't rain, it very possibly didn't have a crop, and therefore I didn't eat. I don't think any of us are going to leave here this morning worried about not getting food in our belly. But for this, folks, it was very prevalent. It was real for them. And he's teaching them what it looks like to live in his kingdom as his disciples in the everyday life, showing how the gospel relates and reshapes and compels us to live differently as his, as his people. In contrast to the teachings of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and all their rule-keeping and how really living for Jesus, it, it brings a transformation, a deeper transformation at a heart level on how we live in God's kingdom. And living in God's kingdom changes how we interact with life stuff, everyday stuff, how we relate to money and our anger and enemies and our lusts and our marriages and everyday cares. So even how we deal with the anxieties that can come to our life, common necessities like food and clothes. So this morning what I'm going to share, um, there's going to be nothing original. I'm not smart enough to come up with anything original, but I've been, I want to just point a, f- a few resources to you that have been helpful for me or authors that have been helpful for me. Um, th- these three resources are out at the, the book cart, um, uh, and they're in a form of just easily accessible, digestible kind of devotional material. For people who wrestle with anxiety, I, I struggle giving them like a big old book. Like That's not going to help. I just need one little bit of truth for my anxious heart today. These have been very helpful. And I particularly have this small book that is written for students, Anxiety, uh, A Student's Guide to Anxiety. It's a small book for teenagers. And so um, not to call you out if you're a teen wrestling with anxiety, but if you do and you'd be humble enough to come down, I want to give a couple of these away um, to you. So would you see me afterward if, if that's something that would, would serve you? I, wanna, I want you to be helped. So... Three things I want to draw attention to, to from this text here. The first one I, th- I want to look at is Jesus helps us identify treasures and predictions. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. And he gives us some categories of, about our eating and drinking, about our body and what we put on, very practical things. He repeats this in verse 31. Do not be anxious saying, what will we eat or what shall we wear? These are the very basics of life. Things that you had to deal with this morning, eating some breakfast and putting on some clothes. Praise God that each of you did that. (laughs) Jesus is dealing with with very real stuff, provision and money and survival. 
But we can think about them in a broad way as well. Do not be anxious about your life. All these things that you will encounter in your life. Even things like time. Jesus tells us, do not worry. Can you even add a single hour to your life? They're not sure how to translate that word. Like cubit is another way to, like a cubit I think would be like the, the distance from your elbow to somewhere here, like your palm, your hand. 18 inches. Can your anxiety add, add any little amount to your body, to your life, any minute, any hour? I mean, it, I get this humorous image of us sometimes, like a, like a little kid standing in the middle of a living room, clenched fist, like grunting, wishing that he could just grow like an inch, make himself bigger or stronger, red-faced. It, it's not going to happen. It, there's no use. But Jesus cares for those. God cares for the big and the small, but, but he's wanting us, he's drawing our attention to the ways which we put improper value upon the things that we, will, we believe is the source of peace and drawing us to a relationship with him. Note the word therefore in verse 25, and it points us back, whenever you see that therefore, it points us back to something in the text, and it, it relates to verses 19 through 24. So if you have a Bible's open, you can kind of glance over that, but Jesus is dealing with issues of earthly treasures, all the earth, their stuff. And we can think them as treasures. We can store them up. Um, but they're just going to rot away. That Do not store for yourself up on this earth treasures on this earth. Live for Jesus in heaven, eternal things. But you can't live for both. You can't live for the treasures here on earth that are going to rot and for God as well. And he talks about the eyes being windows into our soul. Like the things that we desire that we put into our life will either be darkness or that it's going to be light. It, it's going to be either or. It's going to be God or it's going to be something else. We can't love money and Jesus as well. He says, no one can serve two masters, verse 24. There's room for us to only have one true treasure. Where your treasure is, he tells us, there your heart will be also, verse 21. So what is he saying? Where your heart is, your heart is the center of you, who you are, your feelings, your, your doing, your believing, and where your treasure is, where your, where your treasure is, the things you love, there your heart will be. And where your heart will be, that treasure will control your behaviors. It will dictate how you respond, how you live your life, how you feel, how you think, and what you do. And Jesus is saying, if money is your treasure, it's going to rule you. It will dictate what you think, what you feel. It's going to rule your heart. It's going to rule your thoughts and actions and emotions. And we fear often and get anxious over the things that we love that are going to be threatened to be taken away from us. Greed, if you're making it, your, greed is making God uh, a God of your money. And you will be disappointed and you'll be anxious if that God's not going to give you what you most desperately want. And anxiety can be over good loves, right? We worry over the threat or a concern over a relationship, the diagnosis of a parent's sickness or a loved one, the trend of a child toward dark things away from Jesus, which he cares for. But Jesus here is helping us address the wrong treasures, the erring loves in our heart, the erring desires that we make ultimate, that we're looking to for peace and comfort and worth. Something when we, that, that we may or may not get, and it, by its power, it's going to give us peace or it's going to make us anxious. 
And this isn't just a command. This teaching isn't just to poor people. It's worrying about not having something. It is for those who have abundance too. I'm anxious about losing something or not having something. And this can come in all kinds of forms. Are you anxious about your body or clothes? Fear of rejection over what you wear or you don't wear? As you anticipate Monday morning, what kind of reaction will you receive or consumed over your body image or appearance? Anxious about not being accepted or rejected? There's something going on about the thing we are prizing or treasuring based on how we feel anxious. Our worries are saying something often and usually about the thing that we are treasuring. And Jesus calls us to make him our treasure. If Jesus, if Jesus is our prize, he has our heart. And if, if all else is lost, we have God. We have, therefore, all things. This truth has powerful, powerful influence over anxiety. So Jesus is drawing attention to treasures here, and he's, he's also pointing us to, to things in the future. If we listen to our anxieties, they're, they're, they're often talking to us. They're saying something to us. We get our ear, and we're asking, what is my anxiety saying? It's telling us something about the future and usually about something I want to control. Because we love to manage the future. We love to control the outcome of what's ahead. Notice the out there nature of all these worries that Jesus is addressing. What you will. What you will. What you will. And then verse 34, he says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Ed Welch, in his, this small book I mentioned to you, When I'm Afraid, writes this, Fear and anxiety make a prediction. One of those messages is clear. Fear and anxiety both live in the future. They say, there is a future threat to something I love. We fancy ourselves as prophets and we keep trusting in our predictions, even though they don't come to pass. Fear and worry are prophecies. What is he saying? Fears and anxieties are, are predicting. If we listen in and we ask, what, what is the prediction? What is our anxiety telling us will happen? So like a prophet, but often false, don't you know this is going to happen? Don't you know that this threat is going to take place? And we, and we trust in them. We place our faith upon those very things. This afternoon, I'm going to... Uh, finished service and I'm going to be heading to the airport and leaving. And um, I, I tell you what, the anxieties, they don't, they don't predict positive things. I'm not thinking I can't wait to get on that flight because I'm, I'm going to be sitting by the most pleasant person and it's going to be a beautiful temperature on the plane and it's going to be quiet and no, there's going to be no, nothing that's going to happen. No, I'm thinking there's going to be somebody unpleasant sitting next to me and we're going to have turbulence and will I die on my way to Orlando today? That's what predictions are coming to my mind and my heart. It's the worst kind. Will I believe it? it? Will I put my faith upon that thing? It's predicting something, and, it, and it's usually a future threat to something I love. Back to Jesus' point on treasure. So it's not just what are you anxious about, but, but why am I anxious? 
What will I lose? What will overtake me? What desire that I have that I won't get? That, that project that's going to be a disaster, therefore you are going to be a disaster. You screwed that up, you're going to screw it up, and now your future is going to be no good. Don't you know you're going to be alone in that moment? You're going to be broke in that moment. You're going to be sick in that moment. On and on and on and on. To be riddled with anxiety is oftentimes we're considering those future prophecies and believing them. And Jesus, Jesus is inviting us to trust in something else, himself. Reasons not to. Theologians speak of the attributes of God in two categories, the, the communicable and the incommunicable. Those are just fancy words. They just mean like there's things that God shares with us. Communic- communicable is the things like love and mercy and goodness. So attributes that, G- that God is in his perfection, he shares with us that we can also reflect and live in and we can grow in. Incommunicable are attributes that he does not share with us, that he alone possesses. Sovereignty would be one of those. So this is where we get these, the, what we call the omnis, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. So he's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He is everywhere. I find in my anxiety, it's usually related to me not being okay with the communicable attributes that God has shared with me that I want to and need to grow in, but I'm pushing into him and I'm arm-wrestling him for some, some reality that I want to control. I want to know. I want to be present in those things rather than resting in his perfection in those realities. So we are not all-knowing, saints, but he is, and we can rest in him. I am not all-powerful. I can't fix everything in my life, and I can't fix that thing that is tomorrow or a month from now or a year from now, but, but God can. I cannot be everywhere all the time for everyone, but I think I can, and I think somehow that's going to make it better rather than resting in the one who is everywhere and with all things and he can. So the therefore, do not be anxious, is an invitation for you, not a rebuke. It's an invitation to come to him. Rest in him. All of these things perfectly. Wisdom, love, goodness, power, control. And he's inviting us into them to, to look away from our false treasures and our false predictions and to put our place and our treasure in him and the one who knows all things. The one who does declare the end from the beginning. Jesus is saying to us to, to put our treasure in hope in him and to look to the one who, who has our future secure. And then he gives us more reasons. He calls us to remember our father who cares. Jesus is using this lesser to greater argument. If this is true, how much more is this? So he gives his disciples reasons, and he points to God the Father's loving care. And how does he do this? He tells them to, to look, like to look around. I tell you, one of the things about our anxiety is we, we, get, we get turned in here, and Jesus is so helpful just saying, look. Look up out of yourself. Look around. And what does he tell them to do? Remember this mountainside, this outdoors situation? And he's just, look, look at that. Look at the bird. Look at the bird. Can you guys just imagine a bird? Imagine a bird. We have a bird feeder on our deck, and um, we just beautiful varieties of birds that come in, and uh, and it's sometimes just I'm just sucked in. It's right outside, right where our, my sink is, and I'm just drinking my coffee, just looking at the birds, just eating, eating away. 
And I spent an exuberant amount of money to uh, pay for that. They're not doing anything except eating. I'm just thinking, that's just a picture of the, that, if I didn't put that there, they would still be eating somewhere. They're going to be fed. They're not, they're not out, all the, all the harvesting going on around, it's just very vivid, right? The tilling ground, planting, watering, combine, there's no combines that a bird has to use. They just, they're busy, they're not lazy. This is not a call for us to not do anything and be passive, but it is an opportunity for us to trust and look at the birds. They're not starving. They're not starving, and they're not anxious and worrisome. And he's, Jesus says, look at them, your heavenly Father. It doesn't say their heavenly Father. It's not, I mean, he owns all the birds. He is God over the birds. But he, he, your Father, your Father, your Father feeds them. Luke's um, account of this, actually, Jesus used the word raven, like a, like a dirty, ordinary bird. Like, if, if he's taking care of that, how much more value are you than they? How much more? And then look at the flowers. Look, look at the flowers. They're, they're out in the, these are wild flowers. This isn't like your neighbor's like Bachman's manicured, you know, garden beds. This is just the, the wild flowers that would spring up, you know, as we drive on the road and they're kind of in the median or off into the, the side of the woods. Just, I love that. They're in the spring, just blooming everywhere. They just, they're just showing up. They're just, they're just there and there's beauty. No toiling, no spinning, but beauty there because God chooses it to be. And he says, stop and look. And these are Jewish people. They, they would know King Solomon. And, he's, and he says, all, all of his glory, all of his spectacular riches, these flowers contain and offer more beauty than they. And so think about it. If God makes a field dazzle with color and beauty and uniqueness and all of variety, and he gives attention to this, this wild, and he calls it later grasses, grass, it's just going to get burned up and be gone, here and then gone, how much more, how much more do I care for you? And he extends this by just telling us, verse 30, O you of little faith. He contrasts this with those who live for something else than his kingdom, like a, like a Gentile, verse 32. A Gentile, a Gentile who who had no reference to God. They were godless. They, there was no heavenly father for the Gentile, no hope for a God who cares for his children. So it's, a, it's understandable that they're, they're anxious because they're, they're living for those. They're striving for those things. We live in a world where it, it's godless and therefore it's very anxious. There's no reference to a God and therefore it's understandable it is anxious, but he's saying, not you. Because you have a father. And no, he doesn't say no faith. He just says little faith. Not absent faith, little faith. These are his disciples. We see something similar later in Matthew, the storm in the boat, and they were fearful, and Jesus stills the storm, and he says almost the exact same thing. Why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? He's inviting us in our anxieties to more trust in him. Our anxieties aren't proof that there is no faith. It just, it's an invitation for us to move towards him 
in more faith, to grow in faith, and to, ex- to experience his glory and his love. David Pallison writes on this connection to Solomon. I love this. He says, oh, you, um, extending what Jesus could be saying here, oh, you of little faith, do you see? Do you get it? This promise is far more than God will care for you. This is God will clothe you in nothing less than his radiant glory. I promise you. So why do you worry about the clothes you wear? I'll dress you in my own glory. Why do you worry about your health? I'll raise you from the dead to eternal life. Why do you worry about a few dollars? I'll give you the whole earth as your inheritance. Why do you worry when someone doesn't like you? I'll make you live in the kingdom of my love. This is what he's inviting us to. Look outside of yourselves at something other than your situation, the thing that would consume us all in fear and worry and anxiety, and we say, Lord, you love us. You have a glory better for me, and you are near me. This life is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. So what are you looking at? What are you looking at? What arrests your attention in your anxieties? Those, those distracted, those splintered cares in all different directions. Hear Jesus coming and just welcoming you to, to consider the Father's love. To, to, to shape all of those cares and move them toward the one who knows and cares for you. And it can be mustard side size seed size faith. A mustard size seed faith can, can move mountains, Jesus tells us. So it's, it's not the measure of it, it's, it's the object of your faith. And he's inviting us to that. Our minds and our hearts continually speak to us. So what, what, are, what are they saying? Are you aware he is strong? Are you aware that he is powerful? Are you aware that he is wise? And God is watching over you and he, he's near. And then he instructs us. He tells us this. Verse 33. Don't be like the Gentile who doesn't know. Remember that you are his. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. So seek, seek his kingdom first. Make this your priority in that moment of anxiety. Seek his kingdom. What is, what is Jesus saying? Is seek his kingdom is to seek God's, God's rule in our hearts and our lives. It's in essence Jesus inviting us to turn to faith in him as king. Of all the cares and the treasures that could capture our hearts, Jesus is turning us to say, Move towards me. Seek, seek me. Seek my rules, seek my will, and seek my kingdom. Our seeking of his kingdom is pursuing him, I think, as his, him being our treasure. Jesus is not simply wanting us to look at the birds and the flowers as an end, but through them to encounter the one who rules over all of those things and set our trust, our hope. He is the source of all things, life and love, and to move beyond the distracting, splintering cares to the one who knows, to the one who is there. Seek him. Look to him. And he's not afar. He's right there with them 
as he is with us. And if we have him, then we get all the things that we do need. We have the ultimate thing because we've sought Jesus and we have Jesus. Therefore, Jesus says all of these other things are going to be added to you. They're going to come. But we rest in the one who we ultimately need, and that is seeking Jesus. And in seeking Jesus, we find his righteousness as ours as well. Seeking the righteousness of the kingdom, meaning we're wanting his ways, his justice, but I think in, in this, I, there is a righteousness that comes to us by Jesus that we each are always seeking for outside of him. What I mean by that is that we all long to be made right, justified. Justified before God, that's what our hearts are tended to legalism, or justified before other people that would tend us to fear of man or man-pleasing. And Jesus alone can bring the rightness, the perfection that we need. I find, because I fall into this, that many people who are perfectionists are also very anxious people. Because we, are tend, we tend to have lots of self-made laws and rightness and standards that we try to keep for ourselves or we think others are keeping for us, and we can never measure up to those. We will never be right, and therefore, anxiety comes often. And Jesus, Jesus comes to free us from the burden of that guilt, of our failings, of our sin, and clothe us in the lovely beauty of His righteousness. So we don't have to. We don't have to. And all of those laws and all of those perfections that we do need to live up to in God's eyes, Jesus has made that right. And all the ones that we feel like we need to in the eyes of others, the one, the true one that we need to has been met, and we can have peace. He invites us into that. So seeking Jesus, seeking His kingdom, a way we express that is that we, we pray. We pray to Him. Anxieties and worries drive us inward into isolation often and rather than outward and towards, towards Him. I'm amazed in my life where I can be just anxious about something prolonged for hours and maybe days, and I think, I, I, haven't, even, I haven't even just moved towards Jesus with this thing. What, what, how did I pray about this? And Jesus is inviting us to, in seeking Him to talk to Him, pray to Him, to 1 Peter 5, 7, cast our anxieties on Him. Why? Because He cares for us. It's God, I need your help. It is Jesus, would you help me? Jesus, I'm worried. I worry and I'm anxious. Help me. Now notice there are certain therapies that would communicate to you that self-talk is very important. But the difference here for a Christian is that we are speaking not to ourselves. The answer is not in here. The answer is up and out there. And so we are talking to him. He is the answer for our peace, not Ourself. We're talking to God and we are hearing our hearts speak truth to Him that we need to believe you are good. I am loved. You care. You're near. I believe that's why Philippians 4 6 is so helpful that it starts with the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Why? Because I'm near. The Lord is near. He gives us reasons because He is 
near and He cares for us. He cares for our hearts and He, and he cares for how that impacts us physically in our bodies. I just wanted to be sure to, to draw attention to this. I, I, I love the way Jesus has us look at nature and He communicates very practical things about our bodies. God is not detached from the physical. He cares. Jesus does not say, these things are foolish. You shouldn't worry about them. Your bodies are unimportant. You don't need to worry about them. They do matter because we are embodied souls. He cares for our hearts. He cares for our bodies, our spirits, the non-material and the physical. He cares for both. So he cares for the things going on in our hearts, the treasures and our anxieties. And he cares for how that's manifesting in our maybe sweaty palms or racing heartbeats. He cares for our clothes and he cares for our hearts and he also cares for the impact that has maybe from trauma leaving us paralyzed and social anxieties. He cares for that, us. He cares for us. I asked a couple people, just inviting them in, like in your wrestles with anxiety, what has been, what has been helpful for you? I heard that some say speaking them out to others is so helpful to me. Bringing others in to pray and for help. Anxiety is often isolating and pulling you in. And they're saying, when I'm speaking those, I'm inviting others to pray for me. That helps. Another told me that, that they just remember that God is near. They pointed to Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you you are with me. It's a simple prayer, a simple confession. Lord, you're near. I trust you. Lead me. And this is, this is the powerful truth, saints, is that Jesus is before them talking to his disciples because he was Emmanuel. He came near. Embedded in Jesus' question of, are you not of more value, is an answer that Jesus is there before them as Christ, entering into anxious humanity. God is not some distant deity. Just, he just did not communicate these truths through some medium and give us a book. It is Christ before them, human, in flesh, living in the world among pain, suffering, loss, attack, the most fearful thing, the loss of his life. And he did not run from that. Willingly, brutalized, stripped of everything and condemned to death so that in his death and his resurrection, he could taste of that for humanity and that he could offer a peace that he understands as our high priest. Romans 8, I believe, captures this. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Jesus entered in. He gave of himself. And he's not withholding himself. And, and therefore, he is going to not withhold anything that we do need. A wise pastor once told me, God does not give grace for our imaginations. Meaning, meaning he will supply what we need for today, today's struggles, not tomorrow, not the possibilities, but the real stuff that God knows we need, that Jesus knows we need. I think that's what Jesus may be getting at in verse 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, 
for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One translation put it this way, today's trouble is enough for today. <laughs> it's not a denial of the trouble. It's not a, it's not a, a denial that there are real things that provoke anxiety and fears in our life. But it's for us to be present today and to know that Jesus is right there for us today. That God is the one who, who knows our frame and loves us and comes near us. So it's a call for us to consider the ways that we place our treasures in various places and He, he wants us our treasure to be upon Him. Him to be our treasure. It's a reminder for us to know that He is, is near and we have a good, loving Father. And it, is, and it is an invitation for us to just move towards Him, to, to talk to Him, to, to seek Him and find peace. Ed Welch says briefly, fear and worry are opportunities to know God better. Not to wag His head at us, but to say, I want you to know more of my love and my peace. So in an anxious age, saints, we, we can know that, and we can help each other know that. Just, just remember that isolating reality. There are those around us that are really struggling. Is it an, an opportunity for us just to quote Philippians 4, 6, and just tell them to, don't be anxious. No, it's, it's an opportunity for us to be patient and love and to, to remind and embody God's nearness in our care, and to be patient and pray together. Can we pray together? Can, can I pray for you? That's what we need, not, not truth grenades. So what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for, thank you for the peace that, that You can bring to our hearts. And in, in the situations that the variety of situations that are in and among the body right now. Lord, I, I thank you that there's, there's peace that can come. And thank you for that invitation, Jesus. An invitation, not a, it's not a rebuke, it's an invitation for you that you bring to your beloved people to come, to, to remember you're near, to, to, to know the Father's love and to to seek you, to, to come to you, to confess our need for you. And there is a peace that can come that, that surpasses understanding, that, that when looking around the circumstances of the world around us, even the world that says you should be anxious, we could say, God, there's a peace that, that I have got that comes only from you because you're good and you love us and you're near. And so wash over our hearts with a peace. Where, where there are misplaced treasures, Lord, there be money or things, would you, would you allow us to turn to you today? Turn to you wholeheartedly. Where there is just really intense, fearful burdens that are very tangible, would you pour out your spirit upon your body? And let us be, let us be helps to one another wisely, helpfully, patiently, prayerfully. Amen.